Hello, I'm Dr. Neil Skolnick, host of the Infectious Diseases Society of America's Clinical Guidelines podcast series. Today, we'll be discussing the clinical practice guidelines for the management of asymptomatic bacteria. Asymptomatic bacteria is defined as the presence of one or more species of bacteria growing in the urine at a specified quantitative count, usually greater than or equal to 10 to the fifth colonies per ml, in the absence of signs or symptoms attributable to UTI. It's important to recognize that the presence of pyuria does not affect the designation of whether the bacteria is asymptomatic versus an infection. It doesn't distinguish between the two. Asymptomatic bacteria is common in many populations, including healthy women, individuals with underlying urologic abnormalities, and it's particularly common among institutionalized elderly, where it presents a challenge for practicing clinicians. Asymptomatic bacteria is a real challenge, and the consequences of the decisions to treat or not treat are not always obvious, and and that's really what makes a guideline like this so helpful. Joining us today is one of the chairs of the Guidelines Committee, Dr. Lindsay Nicole. Dr. Nicole is Professor Emeritus of the Rady Faculty of Health Sciences, University of Manitoba, and Consultant in Adult Infectious Diseases at the Health Sciences Center and Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. Welcome, Dr. Nicole. Thank you. To start out, can you put asymptomatic bacteria into some historical perspective for us. There was a time when clinicians routinely screened for and treated asymptomatic bacteria, and the science has clearly evolved a great deal since then. Uh, Can you provide us with some historical perspective on this? Yes. um, You know, I think asymptomatic bacteria has a very interesting history. We couldn't actually identify the entity until a quantitative urine culture was introduced, and that was the 1950s, so it's not really that long ago. At the time the quantitative urine culture was introduced and the different uh, patient groups started being screened for bacteriuria, it rapidly became apparent that there were a substantial proportion of people, um, especially women, who had positive urine cultures but uh, didn't necessarily appear to have any symptoms. Um, Initially, uh, there were concerns that, uh, in fact, this asymptomatic bacteriuria, especially since it was often associated with pyuria, was contributing to what was uh, called chronic pyelonephritis and at that time was a major cause of uh, renal failure. Uh, In fact, we now know that uh, chronic pyelonephritis histologically is a fairly nonspecific end stage of uh, many different entities. Uh, But at the time that uh, asymptomatic bacteriuria was initially identified, it was felt that maybe they had found an answer for uh, people who were otherwise apparently well who were developing chronic renal failure. The other group that, uh, with the initial studies, uh, were screened were pregnant women. And uh, a number of studies were performed in the first 20 years, all of which showed that women who had asymptomatic bacteriuria early in pregnancy and were untreated had a substantially increased risk of experiencing pyelonephritis, especially later in pregnancy during the third trimester. In fact, their risk was uh, five to six times higher than individuals who didn't have bacteriuria. So that uh, it was felt that asymptomatic bacteriuria was harmful. It was harmful in pregnant women, clearly, and it was presumed to be a cause of chronic renal failure. 
So this actually led to the institution of a number of very large-scale screenings uh, of normal women in particular, as well as pregnant women and children as well, uh, to identify asymptomatic bacteriuria, in some cases to try and clarify what the risks were, but in many cases to treat those individuals who were found to have asymptomatic bacteriuria. It fairly rapidly became evident that apart from pregnant women, there wasn't any compelling evidence that uh, asymptomatic bacteriuria was harmful for most other populations. In addition, they were unable to show any associations between asymptomatic bacteriuria and hypertension or renal failure in these studies. So there was a shift in thinking about asymptomatic bacteriuria and in fact, uh, a movement away from uh, treating it, which started in about the 1970s or 1980s. Isn't that interesting? You know, it seems to be the history of science where things seem to make sense, it's common sense, and then we do the studies and find out things aren't always as they seem initially. Um, Let's cover some of the recommendations that are made in the guidelines and where you feel it's useful, some of the rationale for the recommendations. We'll cover some but not all of the populations covered in the guidelines and refer our listeners to the guidelines themselves for details as well as other populations that are not covered today. But let's start with, uh, with pediatrics. Should asymptomatic bacteria be screened for and treated in pediatric patients? Right. Well, the simple answer is no. This is a patient uh, population group that wasn't addressed in the 2005 uh, guideline for ASB, but has certainly been addressed in other reviews, including uh, Cochrane reviews. Um, there are a substantial number of large-scale screening studies done in school children back in the 1960s, and we're talking about thousands of school children who were screened. And uh, the evidence from this is compelling that there are no long-term adverse effects associated with asymptomatic bacteriuria. A smaller number of studies that enrolled a smaller number of individuals who had asymptomatic bacteriuria and then followed them for a period of time, some of whom were treated or not treated, again, identified that uh, there were no benefits associated with treating asymptomatic bacteriuria in the pediatric population. There's one very interesting study that uh, was performed uh, in a Swedish cohort where young girls with asymptomatic bacteriuria for several years in many cases were being screened on an ongoing basis. And this group of investigators uh, noted that when these uh, girls uh, got a pharyngeal strep throat and were treated with penicillin, that there seemed to be some of them who were experiencing acute pyelonephritis immediately after the treatment with penicillin. When they looked at uh, the data that they had with respect to the cohort and compared girls who were treated with penicillin, and of course penicillin does get into the urine and does have some impact on bacteria that's present in the urine, with erythromycin that doesn't get into the urine, they showed that if the girls had their, uh, had their pharyngeal strep treated with erythromycin, they did not experience pyelonephritis within usually four weeks or a month or two. Um, following treatment, whereas in the penicillin group, there was a substantial proportion who did experience acute pyelonephritis, and it was usually with a, it was in fact always, I believe, with a new strain of E. coli. So that was one evidence, actually, that uh, not treating ASB was in fact beneficial uh, for some individuals. So overall, the data is old uh, for pediatric patients, but it is compelling. All goes in the same direction, and the current recommendation would be not to screen or treat pediatric patients. 
that's an intriguing historical perspective there as well. I had not uh, heard about the issue of uh, post-strep treatment leading to worse outcomes linked to uh, that treatment of asymptomatic bacteria, and that's intriguing. And uh, as you said, all the information points in the same direction, and clearly uh, we shouldn't be treating harm is greater than benefit. How about treating uh, asymptomatic bacteria in healthy, non-pregnant women? Yes. Um, Again, there are some very large, long-term studies, uh, usually performed by our Scandinavian colleagues back in the 70s and 80s, some of them with follow-ups of 20 to 30 years. It's really quite impressive. And uh, as you, of course, these are not prospective randomized comparative trials, but uh, there's still compelling evidence that there's no harm associated um, with asymptomatic bacteriuria. In some of these, women were initially treated, and uh, there are, uh, there's at least one study that was a prospective randomized comparative trial. And none of the evidence suggests that there's any benefits with treatment. In fact, as with many other ASB populations, if you're a healthy, non-pregnant woman with asymptomatic bacteriuria, you have some biological propensity uh, for asymptomatic bacteriuria. And even though you may be able to resolve it with antimicrobial therapy, you still remain at fairly high risk relative to other women for having further asymptomatic bacteriuria. Again, interesting, and, and we see the case building for not treating most populations with asymptomatic bacteria. The one population, though, that we do see a distinct difference, uh, one of the populations we see a distinct difference with, is pregnant women. Can you talk a bit about uh, asymptomatic bacteria in pregnancy? Yeah. yeah, this is a very interesting one because there's some new evidence from a clinical study from the Netherlands that has made people, suggested that maybe we need to rethink some of our approaches to pregnant women. If we return to those early studies that were done in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, those studies, some of which were prospective randomized comparative trials and some of which were sort of consecutive treatments, are compelling with respect to the benefits of treating asymptomatic bacteriuria in non-pregnant women. In terms of preventing pyelonephritis in late pregnancy and in some cases preventing premature labor. Now, a study was done in the Netherlands a couple of years ago. In the Netherlands, they have never um, treated, screened and treated asymptomatic bacteriuria, with, sorry, pregnant women for asymptomatic bacteriuria. That hasn't been a routine in that country, and it, does, it seems to be because there's. Um, a real effort to, to minimize uh, any uh, therapy in pregnant women, including antimicrobial therapy. So they did a prospective uh, study uh, of uh, women, ident- low-risk women, so not those who had had previous PILO or there were other concerns about, but low-risk women who were otherwise had no concerns with respect to urinary tract infection and identified them with, with asymptomatic bacteriuria and then attempted to do a nested case control study with respect to treatment or not treatment in those who were found to have asymptomatic bacteriuria. They were unable to achieve their goals with respect to study enrollment for the nested case control study. Um, And at the end of the study, when they looked at their entire population and compared those who had asymptomatic bacteriuria um, with treatment and those without treatment, irrespective of whether they were in the randomized control uh, sub-study, uh, they identified no differences in pregnancy outcomes in, in whether or not women were treated. However, 
they did uh, show once again that there was a statistically significant increase in pyelonephritis that occurred in pregnant women with asymptomatic bacteriuria who were not treated. So there's, it's incontrovertible that there is a risk for symptomatic pyelonephritis in pregnant women if they are not treated for their asymptomatic bacteriuria. Now, the argument then is, well, does it matter if they have pyelonephritis, if that can be treated effectively? And... Um, uh, and uh, there's no harm to the uh, fetus. Um, and, and I think we don't know the answer to that. My, the difficulties, and I would say, with respect to the Netherlands study is, uh, is twofold. First of all, they have a very high standard of medical care in the Netherlands, and any pregnant women, woman is followed closely and has immediate access to health care should there be a problem. That is certainly not the case for many other populations in the world, including in some other developed countries. In addition, um, of course, we don't know about the high-risk women, and that's a different group that would have to be looked at. And then finally, they uh, identified asymptomatic bacteriuria in their pregnant uh, cohort um, on the basis of a single urine culture. The early studies, which showed such marked uh, benefits uh, for treating asymptomatic bacteriuria, had identified only persistent asymptomatic bacteriuria. And in those studies, it was on the basis of two, three, or sometimes four urine specimens, all showing the same organism. We know that from those studies as well, that for pregnant women who have an initially positive urine culture, about one-third of them will not have persistent bacteriuria. So that means that about one-third of the women in the Netherlands study would have been misclassified as bacteriuria when they weren't. So I think that we need uh, more studies to be done with respect to pregnant women. I think we have to keep an open mind with respect to uh, approaches to management, but uh, from my perspective, it is certainly too early to say not to screen and treat pregnant women, and so the guidelines still recommend screening and treatment. That's great. Thanks for that full background. And it clearly is an area where we might see changes. And right now, though, the guidelines are clear about screening and treatment. Uh, another area where asymptomatic bacteria is incredibly common is among the elderly, particularly the elderly in, an inst in, in institutional settings. Can you address whether uh, asymptomatic bacteria should be screened for and treated in functionally impaired older women or men residing in the community or in long-term care facilities? Yeah, as, as you say, especially in long-term care facilities, the prevalence of bacteriuria is quite impressive. In women, it's uh, close to 50%, and in men, it's uh, close to 25%. And Studies show that uh, 40, 50 years ago and more recent studies that have been done continue to have that same prevalence of bacteriuria. And uh, if you do attempt to treat the asymptomatic bacteria, it just returns in those individuals. Um, there's, so there's compelling uh, evidence in, with prospective randomized comparative trials as well as, uh, as other types of, of uh, clinical trials and observational studies that there are no benefits to treating asymptomatic bacteriuria in the elderly. Um, and uh, they, so you should not be screening for asymptomatic bacteria in that group either, period. We haven't touched on it yet, but of course, one of the major issues uh, with treatment of asymptomatic bacteria inappropriately is that somebody has done a urine culture. And uh, so discouraging people from uh, physicians or other practitioners from obtaining urine cultures, um, except in situations where there clearly might be an indication for treatment, has got to be one of our roles. Yeah, it, it, as uh, someone who practices in a nursing home two sessions a week, 
that, that comes up all the time. So one of the things that happens for us uh, practicing in, in a nursing home is these areas of ambiguity. Someone has a little bit of a fever or a change in mental status. And what I thought was really wonderful about the guidelines is they explicitly acknowledged and addressed that, that issue of cognitively impaired older patients who have nonspecific symptoms like changes in mental status. Uh, what are the recommendations around that, whether to get a urine culture, whether to treat it when it is obtained? Can you, can you share some information about that really vexing issue? Yeah, and it is an important issue, and that was certainly one that we wanted to address uh, in the guidelines because if you talk to anybody who's got any experience trying to figure out what is symptomatic UTI in older uh, functionally impaired uh, populations is is a major concern. Um, we the evidence that there is available, um, in fact, uh, most of the um, Conclusions from studies suggest that there is an association between confusion or mental uh, deterioration and urinary tract infection. But if you look at those studies, um, the thing that will strike you is that the definition of urinary tract infection is not valid in almost every one of them. It's, uh, it's because they had a positive urine culture. It's because the physician said this is a urinary tract infection. Um, so the evidence that's out there is fairly difficult to deal with. There are a, a couple of more recent studies which have attempted to start to address the question, and these are negative studies in the sense that there's no evidence that treating asymptomatic bacteriuria has improved uh, mental outcome or that uh, patients with positive urine cultures and mental deterioration are doing worse with non-treatment. Having said that, the recommendation to not treat is actually based on uh, the fact that there is very, there is very, very weak evidence related to not treating, but there's strong evidence for adverse outcomes associated with treatment. This is certainly an area where better quality studies need to be done, and of course, this is a difficult patient group to to do studies in. So uh, hopefully somebody will be able to achieve something in the future. Yeah, clearly it's an area where we need to continue to use a lot of judgment in deciding what to do. But uh, but with a bias toward being careful, careful and thoughtful before we get urine cultures right. in the first place and then deciding what to do. It's not an automatic treat. It's a thoughtful, careful uh, decision. Uh, I'm Absolutely, and I think that we worded the recommendation as carefully as we could, which is basically that if you're presented with that particular clinical scenario, you should be looking for other diagnoses other than urinary tract infection. That's a great point. Um, can you address asymptomatic bacteria in patients with diabetes? Yeah, I think that's a relatively straightforward one. Of course, diabetic patients do have an increased frequency of urinary tract infections and tend to have an increased severity of urinary tract infections when they occur. However, there are some reasonable quality clinical studies which clearly document that there are no benefits associated with treating asymptomatic bacteriuria with respect to clinical outcomes um, in diabetic patients. And again, this is a population where a diabetic patient who has asymptomatic bacteriuria, if you treat it, they are likely to have asymptomatic bacteriuria again or maybe symptomatic urinary tract infection again within a short period of time. The one uh, prospective randomized 
trial that was done in diabetic patients actually showed uh, uh, an outcome similar to what we discussed in the pediatric population, which is that women with asymptomatic bacteriuria who were treated with their asymptomatic bacteriuria in the short term, so that's within the first month or two following treatment of asymptomatic bacteriuria, had an increased frequency of pyelonephritis occurring relative to women with asymptomatic bacteriuria who were not treated. So again, there is a suggestion there that in some patients, the presence of asymptomatic bacteriuria is in fact protective, but uh, certainly the evidence does not support uh, attempting to screen or treat uh, diabetics for asymptomatic bacteriuria. That is fascinating. Uh, the guidelines address many types of patients. Uh, I refer our listeners to the full guidelines for other uh, patient populations and for further details. Are there any other populations or specific points that, that you'd like to make before we close that, that are important in the guidelines? Well, I think that another group that uh, we were getting some strong input about is the uh, individuals who are undergoing elective uh, surgery, especially for prosthetic joint and in some cases cardiovascular um, uh, surgeries, and uh, whether these individuals should be screened for asymptomatic bacteriuria, and if screened for asymptomatic bacteriuria and found to be positive, do they need to be treated? Um, and again, the there is the evidence is not uh, of good quality, but it all points in the same direction that uh, there are no benefits to screening for asymptomatic bacteriuria or for treating the asymptomatic bacteria relative to outcomes of infections at the surgical site, which of course is pretty important when you're talking about prosthetic devices. And of course, those of us in infectious diseases recognize that infections in these devices are usually coag negative staph and other organisms that are not present in the urine. So it wouldn't make any kind of sense that uh, those organisms present in the urine. Uh, a final thought there is that uh, many of the prophylactic regimens that are given would in fact be effective at clearing any organisms that were present in the urine. So the recommendation in the guidelines there is not to screen and not to treat routinely prior to uh, surgical procedures. That's great. That's important. We really covered a lot of ground today, and I think we're left with a big overwhelming point, which is um, for most patient populations, pregnant women certainly being the, the most frequent group for which this isn't the case, that we shouldn't be looking for asymptomatic bacteria. And when urine cultures are done that show asymptomatic bacteria, we should be uh, very thoughtful and slow to treat unless there's clarity about the need to treat. Um, for more information on the IDSA guidelines on the management of asymptomatic bacteria. A full version of the guidelines is available on the IDSA's website. Dr. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us your knowledge and wisdom. Okay, thank you. For the IDSA, I'm Dr. Neil Skolnick. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.